I think he's dead. Should we just like divide up his stuff now? <laughs> Go through his pockets and look for loose change. That's what yeah. I was thinking, yo. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. This podcast is sponsored by New Relic. To track and optimize your application performance, go to rubyrogues.com slash newrelic. This episode was brought to you by Waza, Heroku's one-day celebration of art and technique. Join Mats, Aaron Patterson, and more on February 28th in San Francisco. Use exclusive code READY-ROGUES-13 for $50 off registration at Waza. That's W-A-Z-A dot Heroku dot com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 92 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Avdi Grimm. Hello. We have David Brady. Hello. We have James Edward Gray. Hello from the Skype interface. And I'm Charles Maxwood from devjat.tv. Real quick, I just want to mention again that I'm going to be doing this Rails ramp-up course on Ruby on Rails. It's kind of a mix between a course and coaching, um, and you can go sign up at railsrampup.com. Um, I know that not everyone's interested, but if you can help me get the word out, even if you're not at the place where you want to learn Rails, I'd really appreciate that. So I just want to thank our newest unofficial rogue. It's Avi Flombaum. I hope I said that right from the Flatiron School. Thanks awesome. for supporting the show, and uh, we really, really appreciate it. Yes, thank you. <laughs> All right, let's get into the show. This week, we're kind of doing something a little bit lighter. We've had some long shows and some deep shows. So now uh, we're gonna have a short, shallow show. <laughs> <laughs> we promise no useful content for the next hour. <laughs> yeah, right. don't don't dive in head first. You'll probably hit the bro- bottom and break your neck. But uh, okay. Sorry Ruby about that. Never mind. <laughs> so what are we talking about? What are we talking about? Somebody pick something. Somebody pick something? All right, I'll pick something. Have you guys seen uh, these articles recently about um, Ernie Miller had the first one I saw about why he likes to work in Louisville, working remotely for people? And then there was another one just the other day from Stack Overflow about why they like to hire remote workers. So basically it was about, you know, it was cool juxtaposition there because you got the the remote worker telling you why you should be a remote worker. And then you got the company telling you why you should have remote workers. Did you guys see those? I didn't, but I'm keenly interested. Yeah, it's Pretty cool stuff. It was about, you know, um, there's so many advantages to working remote as far as like happiness and comfort and, uh, you know, that, you know, being able to live in a place like Louisville and Ernie's case or Oklahoma in my case where, you know, the cost of living is so significantly different from, you know, your typical tech booming centers. Things like that and, and how that overall happiness translates into workflow. And then Stack Overflow basically confirmed it that like saying, yeah, basically we see when we find remote workers, you know, that they actually tend to work more than, you know, people who come into the office because, you know, the guy comes into the office, he's sitting in the chair all the time, but he'll surf a little bit or whatever, you know, or hang out at the, the water cooler or whatever, whereas, you know, the guy at home, he's he's usually pouring over it and putting in a lot of hours and stuff like that. And they, they did admit that it's not for everybody, but that but that overall they felt like when it 
you found the right person, that it was a great fit. You know, it'd be cool if there was like a, a podcast that interviewed people who uh, re- work remotely and, and uh, find out how they, you know, make it work. That would be really cool. What would that podcast be called? I mean, you know? I don't know, like, like, lar, no, like, uh, wide teams or something. That's probably a stupid name. Yeah. yeah that, that'd be dumb. Jesus, who would want to do something like that? Ugh. <laughs> no, yeah, that is boring. Cool. What have you found when, when doing all those interviews? I've listened to some of them, but like, what have you found overall? I've talked to a lot of people who are very, very happy, a lot happier than they were, you know, working at an office. I mean, different people have different reasons for wanting to work remotely, but a lot of them have to do with just, you know, being able to live where you want to live, not being sort of jerked around the country by the job situation. And uh, a lot of people are, are incredibly happy that they don't have a commute anymore. Except it cuts into your podcast listening. <laughs> I have well, heard yeah, that so the, many times. That's kind of the irony that we've that we've noted on many episodes is, you know, it's a podcast about working remotely, but but a lot of to- a lot of times, uh, I, I've talked to people who now work remotely because, uh, you know, in a large part because of of the the good reports that they heard on the podcast, and, and then they went and found themselves a remote job, and now they don't listen to the podcast anymore because they don't have a commute. Uh, (laughs) yeah i've met a few people at conferences and they're like yeah i used to listen to two or three of your shows and and then i started working from home or i started working 10 minutes away and i i'm way behind now yeah but you know i remember it might be sam livingston gray who said this but they they listen while they're washing dishes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) but that was cool some people listen while they're running and stuff like that but yeah i mean a lot of people just report, you know, they, a lot of people talk about having more time with their families and, and, uh, you know, just being more flexible, being able to stop in the middle of the day and go for a run and stuff like that. But, uh, I think the thing that I hear the most is just, is that it's not that big a deal. You know, it's not, you know, they might have gone into it thinking that it would be really hard, but it turns out that they're very happy in their teams. Everybody in the team is happy and, and, uh, they work together just fine. Yeah. That's cool. All right, Abdi, you pick something. I pick something. Well, see, I got to kind of preserve my picks today because, uh, you know, not having planned for this pick explosion, I only have like two. But um, this is one of those things that 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 uh, you guys have probably picked before because it seems to be more and more the, the case. But I finally watched one of uh, Noel Rappin's talks from 2012. Uh, the one I the version I watched was "Let's Make Testing Fun Again" uh, from Chicago Ruby. And uh, it was really good. I always enjoy his talks. Uh, and of course, uh, we've had him on the show, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. He's he's one of the only people that's been on both this show and JavaScript Jabber, actually. Okay, right. Yeah, it, it was. it's a show about testing, obviously, and, or a, a, a talk about testing. And, uh, you know, a lot of it was kind of, you know, stuff that, that I kind of knew about writing good tests. But there were some things in there that I think will improve my testing game. And there was some, there were some thought provoking things like I've gotten into the habit of naming my inner RSpec uh, description blocks just after the method that they test. And, and he advocates a more semantic naming style for those. So like, you know, where let's see when I was just doing, uh, you know, where I would have described it, d- made the, made the inner description uh, dot add endorsement for gem, you know, just the name of the method. Uh, he might make it a more semantic name that doesn't tie it directly to the name of the method, like, you know, adding, describe, adding an endorsement to a gem or something. Um, okay, so 
I actually want to talk about that point because I, I am getting good at, at using a good descriptive name for like the if the it block um, right. in our spec and the describe context, you know, it's usually just the, the class or the module or whatever. Where I seem to fall down and die is when I do um, nested context. And mm -hmm. where it really kills me is with something like active record, because for some reason, I just want to group those as like associations, validations, stuff like that. But then it doesn't read right, right? Like it's, it's my model associations belongs to a whatever, right? You know, it, it doesn't read right. So how did you handle that inner context block? That's weird. Yeah. I mean, for me, like with active record, my, my out is usually just, I don't test stuff like associate, like I don't test the fact that an association is there. So that kind of simplifies it for me. I sometimes don't like if it's stupid, simple, but, but like sometimes if I do a has many through, or if I have to set some complicated qualifier on it or. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime that you're going to customize the association in some way, I think it's good to test it, but yeah, I don't know. Like the, the description, like I could see having a block that's just like testing descriptions or something. I'm not description, testing associations. I can't talk today. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just like describe associations or something like that. I don't know. I'm not sure, but it was, it was kind of weird looking at that because I, that like went back when I got started years and years ago with RSpec, I, I did have more semantic names for like the functionality that I was testing, uh, like the describe blocks, you know, the functionality I was testing rather than just the, the method name that I was testing. And then I kind of switched because a lot of people were using just class name and then method name. And now I'm wondering about that. You know, we should just say that uh, since we're talking about Noel's video, that Noel is like a great guy. <laughs> and if you run into him at a conference, have dinner with him. You know, he's <laughs> like a super nice guy, fun to talk to. So, yeah, Noel's awesome. I totally Thanks. second that. Yeah, I usually wind up spending a bit of time with him at the conferences that I'm attending with him. Yeah, he's a really great guy. Are there like so, multiple Noels? How does he have a, have time to be a, a great guy to have dinner with for like everybody? <laughs> well, he used to work for Groupon, so they just send him everywhere. <laughs> no, the day I thought you I thought you were going to say he used to work for Groupon, so everybody had these half off coupons for dinner with Noel. <laughs> <laughs> so one of our picks is Noel Rabbit. Yeah. Why don't we make Dave pick something? Okay. Um, so I've got a, a pick. I've got a controversial pick. I'm not sure if I'm, I'm going to do this one, but I've got a, an, a very expensive pick and a really fun pick. And I'm going to do the I can't believe it hasn't been picked yet pick. Uh, I'm going to do that one first. And that is the pickaxe book. Whoever so, yeah, whoever heard of this? Well, actually, working through... Uh, our current client, we've got some people that are coming to Ruby from .NET and, you know, we're kind of, Chuck and I are working together on that and it's kind of a bring us your tired, your poor kind of environment and it's it's a lot of fun. And uh, two days ago, I think, uh, I found out that two of the guys on the team had never heard of the pickaxe book and I, I it was a total face palm forehead slap moment. Uh, these guys had been brought in 
later, you know, I'd gone out there for the the original meetup with these guys and and told them, you know, you want the pickaxe book, you need the, you know, agile development on Rails if you're going to go that route, and you need, you know, this and this and this, and and I gave them a bunch of resources, and the first resource was the pickaxe book, and these two guys came on later and didn't get that speech, so they'd never heard of this book, and for those of you that are interested, the pickaxe book is now in fifth edition. Um, it's it was last updated in August of 2012, so. Uh, you know, it's it's fairly up to date. It covers one point nine point three. Um, I'm going to interrupt you real quick, Dave. Yeah, please. For, for those who are new to Ruby, the pickaxe ah. book is Programming Ruby by Dave Thomas, and yes. I think I think there's some uh, uh, co-authors, sub-authors yeah. on there. So it, I'm going to interrupt you now, Chuck. The book is now actually called Programming Ruby one dot nine, right? And they did that to. I think it was during the 1819 transition, they didn't want it to just replace the original programming Ruby or something like that. Anyways, All right. it, yes. I think it is now actually called programming Ruby. All right. So we're yeah. going to pop the stack again, and I'm just going to mention that you should go to pragprog.com and buy it. Yes. Um, that way you can get the digital version or the paper version if you would like. We'll, I'll put a link to that, and I'll also put a link to Amazon. In that way, if you just want the paper version, then you can give us a little uh, affiliate click. But um, right. I, I recommend going to Pragprog and buying it there because they, they give you freebies, they give you good stuff. Yeah, well, and it, it they'll if you go to Pragprog and give them the uh, the public or the what is it the public address or the private email address of your Kindle, uh, they'll email the book to your Kindle, and so it'll just show up. Yeah. The other nice thing is if you get the electronic version and there are changes to the book, then they'll let you know. They'll then then you can up you can upgrade yeah. your book for free. Yeah, yep. the electronic version. Uh so one point of clarity, um, it is called programming Ruby one point nine. The official title is third edition. So I just said it was in fifth edition. That's not technically correct. The book is now in version 5.0. If you open the book to the ISBN cover page, it says version 5.0, August 2012. But the, the cover says third edition. So that can be a little bit misleading. So you are looking for third edition, but what's inside will be version 5.0. And for those of you that are new to Ruby, this is the Ruby book. This is the book that covers the first half, explains how to program in Ruby, how Ruby works, how to start Ruby, how to shut Ruby down, how to fork Ruby, how to, you know, how threading works, how, how all the bits of Ruby work. And then the second half of the book is a reference to the API, to the core, core lit, what is it? Core, Ruby core and standard library, I think is, are the, the things that ship with Ruby. Plus a bunch and, of the external libraries, right? And yes, it, it covers the standard lib and, and most of the things in the standard lib, but they get pretty short, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. introductory descriptions. I, I know this is going to sound weird, but read the freaking reference. Yes. Like, like that, I, I think that is one of my secret weapons as a Ruby programmer is that I've actually read the reference in the back of the book. Like all the time, I'll just throw out some weird method that's in part of core Ruby and people are like, what is that? How did you know that was yeah. there? It's like, it's in the reference in the back of the big axe. Yeah. yeah. So I was uh, debugging through some code the other day and I came across a commit um, from Chuck Wood and it had date dot and, and the, the stir F time on it was done wrong. He'd, he'd literally typed the function wrong. He typed STRP time and then just, just gunked up the rest of the line. And I, I, I just lost it. I'm like, I can't believe Chuck didn't even test this stupid method. And I was about to like 
pull Chuck into our, our Skype call and just yell at him that, how did you commit this code without, and then I, I thought, you know, I'm just going to Google this. And yeah, it's new in 1.9.3. There's a new method in, in 1.9.3 called stir p time. And it, it's the opposite of stir f time. It, it's a string parse time instead of string format time. I never would have known that. Um, I'm actually I, not sure if that's new in 1.9. I, I, I no, know I it was it in, it was in 1.8, but I can't remember if you had to require time to get it in 1.8. That, that may have been when I, when I, when I pulled up the, the reference for 1.9.1, I think it was not there. So it's, it's doing the hokey pokey. It's, you know, it's, it's in, then it's out, then it's in. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, get the latest book. It's valuable. That's my pick. Nice. I had That's another great. one of those. Um, I read through the our picks recently and couldn't believe it wasn't in there. And that's Ruby Toolbox. Do you guys use that at all? Sometimes. Occasionally, yeah. Okay, I'll be the idiot. I've never heard of this. What is it? So Ruby Toolbox <laughs> is this site where you go pick a category for something you want. Like um, if you're getting ready to do some geocoding and put in Google Maps kind of stuff you'd pick the maps and geocoding category. And then it'll tell you what extensions people are using. They're like ranked and and what's most popular. So what's great about it is like, if you haven't done Rails in a while, or you have, but you haven't had to do this specific kind of thing in a while, you go to Ruby Toolbox and you're like, hey, I'm going to do pagination now, right? And that's Will Paginate. And it's like, no, dude, everybody's moved on from Will Paginate. This is what they're using now or (laughs) whatever. Uh, And you can find out what people are using, which is usually, you know, best supported, best being under active development and stuff like that. It's it's a really handy tool. Nice. So So, um, I'm going to go ahead and jump in and pick something. Um, I'm going to pick something that's not uh, Ruby development related, but it's something that has made my life a little bit better. It's actually oldapps.com. Have you guys heard of this? No. So so what it is, is it has like all of the free or open source software out there as they uh, update the versions. Usually on their websites, you can't get the old version. So for example, Skype, Skype 6.0 is, is awful, ugly, terrible. Of course, Skype 5. Anything is, is, the same is just less terrible. Um, but the thing is, is I just got tired of all of the antics that Skype 6.0 and 6.1 were putting me through. So if you go to oldapps.com and you click my, uh, Macintosh in the top right or, or Linux or whatever, they have Windows, Macintosh and Linux. Um, I actually went and downloaded Skype 5.8 and I upgraded my 6.1 version to 5.8. And, uh, it's, it's been, it's been nice. It, it works. It works fine. It doesn't have all the funky garbage that they keep adding in. Um, they put restrictions into Skype 6 um, because they want you to pay for some of the features that were free before. Um, and some of the other features that are still free just don't work right unless you do some funny stuff with them. And the interface is cleaner. So oldapps.com is is definitely a good one for, for if you want to roll back to an older version of something free like Firefox or Skype or anything like that. Hello. That's cool. I want to jump back uh, real quick about uh, the pickaxe and just say I've done a lot of researching things uh, for some of my book writing and, you know, like cross-referencing between the pickaxe and the um, Ruby programming language by Madsen Flanagan. And if you're going to get just one of them, I would still recommend the pickaxe. There's been a bunch of, there have been a bunch of topics that I went to look up 
and I found more information about them in the pickaxe um, yeah. than uh, than in the the O'Reilly book. Yeah, it's one of the oldest references for Ruby out there in English, but it's updated and it is it is the most relevant. Yeah, the other one I like as a reference is the Ruby Way by Hal Fulton. Oh yes, and that's essential. Yeah, it it's kind of different from the the pickaxe in the sense that you. Uh, it's more comprehensive, I guess, because he covers like every last little thing that is in Ruby. Well, I think of it as as closer to a recipe book. I mean, it's not it's not a formal recipes book, but it kind of takes that form. You know, it's a lot of how to get particular tasks done using the Ruby standard library. Agreed. Yeah, but they're they're great books. I don't know if the Ruby way has been updated to uh, Ruby one nine though. I, yeah, I want to say it has. Yeah. I can't remember. It's been too long since I've read it. My my copy of the paper book hasn't changed in a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> what? You didn't get the upload thing where you just plug it in? No. Yeah. No. I have the second edition, which I thought was the 1.9 edition, but now I'm wondering. Yeah, it's it's a pretty thick book. Yeah. Well, who's next? I got one. So I've I've finally started using. Chrome is my uh, browser all the time, um, which I think I'm the last person on Earth to do. But the cool thing about using Chrome as a browser is you get to play around with all the cool stuff in the Chrome ecosystem. Have you guys found Vimium? It's a browser extension that you plug in. Oh. <laughs> and yeah, like, there's, a, there's one for Firefox as well. It gives you Vim navigation keys? Yeah, basically. It, it, it makes them like navigation in Chrome for moving around. But the thing I love about it is the the ability to like click links with my keyboard. Right? You can like hit F for find and it basically pops up a little like one or two letter combo on top of all the links on the page. And then you just like type whatever two letter combo you want and it clicks that link for you. Right? So you can just Yeah navigate around it's awesome i love that it's really great that's really like, cool i've seen that for firefox and i love you hit the the hot key and just having it annotate all of the things that are clickable on the page is actually a really useful like debugging tool that's, like, that's or, true as well yes the the just seeing what i could interact with right <laughs> yeah well we get used to using key bindings for all kinds of things like that and so being able to you know, move, you know, move that over, even if the key bindings aren't exactly the same is, is really, really handy. Yeah. You can customize whatever it, it binds to as well. If you want, if you want to change them, but, uh, um, it's, it's really nice. I'm enjoying it. So is it blasphemy if it's called Vimium to, uh, rebind everything to Emacs key bindings? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's a good question. All right, David, do you want to throw another one out there? Oh, sure. Let's see. Yeah. So, uh, I'll do a real quick one. Um, it, it wouldn't be, uh, it just, I wouldn't be myself if I didn't, uh, work, uh, this topic into the show somewhere. So, uh, oh, someone no. sent, oh, no. someone sent me a gift book the other day. This book is called the Kama Putra. Uh, it's like 50 mind blowing ways to poop. If you're not into that kind of humor, <laughs> this book is not for you. Um, <laughs> If you are into this kind of humor, it is side-splittingly funny. It's potty humor all the way. Uh, it's just drawing after drawing after drawing of different ways to approach and uh, 
deliver, if you will. Um, and it, they do a pretty good mockery of, uh, the, the Kama Sutra with the contortionist positions and just silliness. And there's, you know, positions on, on your own, positions with a partner, you know, that kind of stuff. And if, if that kind of humor is up your alley, it's, it's crying out loud funny. And that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> in case it's not your, in case that's not your type of humor. And you guys notice that people send David a lot of gifts. Am I doing something <laughs> wrong? They are all gifts about poop. D- do you still want to play this game? <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, I did not know this, but Kama Putra has its own website, so I'll link that. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. So um, one thing that I've been trying lately, I haven't picked this before on the show, is it's an app called Contactually. Um, I know that several of us um, run our own businesses, and so we need to you know, keep leads warm and things like that. And what this does is it actually hooks into my, um, my Gmail or Google Apps mail, and it sends me reminders to, <laughs> to keep up with people. And uh, it, it's, it's so funny to me because I am so bad at this. And, uh, so it's, it's so convenient for it to do it. And it looks like I got an email from him yesterday, you know, cause you get the automated emails when you sign up for these services. It, it looks like it'll actually hook into your CRM. So, um, I'm going to plug it in and see how it works with my CRM and see how that all works. But so far it's just been terrific. And, you know, it allows you to sort your, uh, contacts into buckets and, and that way it knows how to handle them, you know, how often you need to keep track of them and, and, and things like that. So. Um, I've really liked it so far. I've been using it for about two or three weeks and it has made it much, much easier for me to keep on top of following up on leads and keeping in contact with, with potential, uh, vendors and sponsors and things like that. And so, uh, anyway, I'm going to recommend that. That, that. that looks really cool. One of the things that, that I was kind of hurting for when I was a bit more of a like full-time consultant was, a good like one person CRM. I, I found a bunch of tools that seemed like they were really customized for large shops sharing contacts around. And I really wanted something that was just like, help me keep track of, help me keep track of my leads and uh, remind me to take the next step with them. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what this does for me. It's, it's, Hey, you haven't emailed this person in a while. So, uh, you know, go see what's going on. So, um, on the topic of following up, I cannot believe I haven't, haven't picked this before. I actually really think I have, but I don't see it in the pick list. Uh, so something that I use constantly is a service called followup.cc. Uh, I've been using this, I don't know, for a couple of years now, I think. And it's a really simple service where you basically, if you're going through your email and you have something that you, that you need to take action on sometime later, you just forward it to like, one hour at followup.cc or three days at followup.cc or January at followup.cc. Uh, basically it's just a real simple syntax for, for addresses that express exactly when you want to be reminded of it. And they just, they keep a calendar of, of reminders for you and they'll send you a reminder when the time comes, um, which you can, you know, you can act on or there are actually links in, in it to snooze it for different lengths of time. And, uh, there are also some other, niceties like like they publish a calendar feed that you can plug into your calendar if you want to actually see when the reminders are coming up and stuff and actually uh the picks that i had today i i um sent to myself with followup.cc to you know to come to me on wednesday uh because i wanted to be reminded of them today 
yeah, like I said, I've been using that for a long time. Really, uh, it's it's a relatively inexpensive service and it's totally worth it. That looks cool. cool. That looks really cool. So I want to change tacks a little bit. I'm, I'm kind of curious. It's funny on our back channel, we'll, we'll talk about some of these picks and we'll actually say like, oh, you know, you recommended this and I tried it out and I really liked it. So are there any picks that uh, somebody else picked on the show that you guys got hooked on? Oh, yeah. Not too long ago. This is kind of ironic, though, because I needed a markdown preview app and I went searching and I found one and it was great. And I'm like, ah, oh, I'm going to pick this. And I then I stopped myself. And I'm like, I should go see if that's in our picks. And Josh had picked it like the week before. So I didn't get hooked on it because Josh picked it. I found it separately, but I totally agree. And that's uh, marked. Mark.app is really good. That was something that's been picked before. And then uh, Katrina picked that Wordoid.com site, uh, which I'm basically addicted to now. I like go to that <laughs> site and scroll through and uh, and uh, look for different word combinations and stuff. I can't wait till I have to name something again. I haven't had to name a project recently, but I'm totally using Wordoid for that. So in the spirit of that and throwing out a new pig, um, I also found Word Nick recently. And that site has to be like the best thesaurus online because you can go in there, look for a word and you have to scroll way down past the definitions and stuff. But there's like hypernyms, synonyms, words for use in the same context. I mean, just a crazy amount of great stuff. So when you're struggling for a name, try WordNick. It's awesome. You know what happens for me is, I don't, I don't have a specific example that comes to mind, but I know there have been a few cases where I've been watching my Twitter feed and somebody is like, like, I found this great tool because of, uh, because of a Ruby Rogues pick. And I'll look at it and I'll be like, hey, that looks cool. So. <laughs> yeah, I've totally done that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I was apparently spacing out when, when it was picked the first time, but, uh, then somebody will mention it again and I'm like, oh yeah, I should use that. I have to tell a funny story about pigs. Katrina posted that cooking video one time with the uh, how to figure out if the pan is at the perfect temperature. Yeah. And I watched that video, that short little video, and I felt like it had awakened something in my mind, you know, like I was now <laughs> smarter. And so I went in and I told my wife, did you know this is this amazing trick you can do to tell if a pan is at the right temperature? And she's all, oh, yeah, you put the little... Uh, uh, drop of water in it, it's if it bounces around like a BB, right? I'm like, <laughs> we've been married 15 years and you were hiding this on me the whole time. What else are you holding out on? I know, it's like, geez. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, one of the ones that James picked that I got hooked on, it, he and several other people I know kept recommending it, so I finally broke down and started watching Downton Abbey with my wife. And I'm hooked. I'm hooked for life, I think, so... uh yeah, that's a great show. It's such a terrific show. And the thing is, is that like the personal interplay between the characters is interesting. And, uh, there's just so much there that, um, is, is fascinating to me. For example, you know, just the, the difference between the aristocracy and, you know, everybody else. And then, uh, and then, you know, the people who work for them. And the other thing that's really interesting to me is like all the different technology that, that is up and coming, you know, at that time. And the way that the world is changing and, and some of the things that uh, have affected things that have happened within our lifetimes um, are really, really interesting. So 
anyway, it, it, it's been really, really fun to watch, um, watch the show and kind of see what's there. And I've actually gone and like looked up some of the historical context of some of the stuff that's going on to try and understand, um, what they're talking about and why the characters care about some of these things. And, and it, it's just been really, really cool. I've also gotten hooked on things to watch. Josh picked Sherlock at one point, the BBC series of Sherlock, and I finally got around to watching the first season of that this week, which is amazing. It's a really great show and goes really fast. Uh, and then also I've picked Big Bang Theory in the past, and Josh has been steadily trying to reform my uh, show watching habits. He sends me all these articles about why you should quit watching Big Bang Theory, uh, which are really good. And uh, the latest one he sent me is um, said, uh, if you're hooked on it and you uh, you want to try something else, try Community. Uh, and so I started watching Community recently, too, and I'm, I'm through the first season of that. Uh, and that is also crazy funny. Uh, yeah, it's it's very good. The references in that, like <laughs> they throw out so many pop culture references and they are often like one word and they are timed so perfectly. And you just like, I know I'm only getting like half of them. It's, it's very cool. Check out community. So I have a, a pick that, uh, that really, really, uh, works for me. And this is kind of a twofer. It's, it's a pick that James picked, but it's also shilling for Avdi, um, because, uh, it's Ruby Tapas. Um, which, as you know, one of the people on Ruby Rogues puts out. This is not a paid endorsement, just so you guys know. Um, but I was talking with a coworker the other day. Handing you that hundred dollar bill. Yeah, shut up! Shut <laughs> up! Um, so I was working with a coworker a couple days ago, and he was asking for he he's gone he's got the pickaxe book, and he's he's read a, you know various stuff, and he's watched some peep codes, and and he's watched Railscasts, and and he's like, so what's you know what's the next thing to do? And I said, well, what you need to do is just just broaden your knowledge base and just just deepen it and and I realized that yeah the probably one of the best uh, learning resources right now is Ruby Tapas because one day Avdi will cover something really really simple and the next day he will cover something that's right there in the spec it's really obvious but it's mind-blowingly deep and uh, they're just really well produced really well uh, I'd say they're really well written but you know it's not like Ruby, like, Avdi has, you know, joke writers on the show or anything, but they're, they're really well put together. Why not, damn it? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, anyway. Uh, so that, yeah, I, I, I highly recommend Ruby Tapas. It's one of the best resources out there right now. Heck yeah, they are so good. And they're wafer thin. That's the, the best part. That is actually the best part. Like, if, when a Ruby Tapas video pops up and it's like under five minutes, it's like, why not watch this right now? Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Um, in, in making those, you know, when I started out, I still kind of felt a little compelled to try to get as much content into an episode as possible. And the more I make them, the more I feel like my ideal episode is going to be 30 seconds long. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and not because not because I want to stretch, stretch it out, just because I feel like, you know, it, I really am trying to, you know, uh, zero in on that, that just one new thing yeah. that, that you can actually remember, um, because it wasn't overloading you. And, uh, yeah, I want to get it. I want to get my 30 second, uh, episode. One of these days I'll, I'll get it. Hey, speaking of Big Bang Theory, I don't watch it, but, um, I think, um, I think my mom forwarded this to me. 
Uh, one thing I saw interesting lately was that one of the stars of that show is actually creating a uh, television series that will be profiling young geniuses, basically uh, young engineering and programming and creative geniuses from around the world. Uh, I'll just paste in the first article I found about this in the into the notes. That sounds awesome. Cool. Ruby Tapas, very worth it. The best what reason other... is like every oh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you can start your morning with a short little video and then have Avdi tell you happy hacking for the day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I actually had somebody, I, I screwed up a show recently and it, it was missing a little bit of audio from the beginning and the end. And uh, I got somebody tweet at me on Twitter, no happy hacking today? <laughs> I was like, oh, crap. That's right. I had to go and fix it. Yeah. I have one other pick. Go for it. There's this article, Iteration Inside and Out, uh, on a blog which is rapidly becoming one of my favorite programming blogs because there's some really good content on it. And it basically covers, in more depth than I've seen anywhere else, the difference between internal iteration and external iteration. And, uh, which is something that we sort of use. Th those are both concepts that I think we use implicitly in Ruby, but, uh, you may not have thought about the distinction before and what it means for different types of iteration and why sometimes internal, internal iteration is very elegant and sometimes it's brutal. And sometimes the reverse is true. Sometimes it's, you know, external iteration that's, that's very elegant for one case and terribly ugly for others. Uh, so. It's kind of a cool concept in Ruby now that Ruby can basically turn internal into external, right? Yes. Yes. And I've been, I don't know. I can't remember if any of them have gone up yet, but I, I created a whole series of Ruby Tapas episodes uh, about enumerator in Ruby. And this was sort of very timely for that. I think this actually came out after I'd created most of them, but it's very timely and it's, it's, uh, it's great continued reading from that series because I talk about external iterators, but I don't actually define them. And, and uh, this really goes into detail explaining the difference. That's cool. I got a couple of small ones I'd like to throw out real quick. First, their GitHub uh, released this library for how they do their processing and like comment fields and stuff like that, where you, it's basically this pipeline of transformations, you know, to do things like the markdown conversion, the syntax highlighting, all that kind of stuff. And uh, you can use uh, what they use now to, to do all these various um, transformations and um, insert things you want into the pipeline somewhere or take things out you don't want. And so that's, I thought that was kind of cool. Just a simple hack. Another uh, thing in Python, they have uh, this great command that you can just do on the command line using Python and you're serving this current directory on the, you know, through a web server. Um, and I've, I'm always jealous of that. Like we can do it with web, Webrick, but it's just not like a pretty one liner. Right? You know what I mean? Like uh, to make it easy to throw a directory on the web. But uh, Jeremy Heingardner has a heel gem, H E E L. And um, that will do the same thing for us. So you can just uh, fire it up and some directories being served through a web server. So uh, I find that ridiculously convenient when I have some project and I just want to browse it uh, with a web browser. And it can do, uh, heel will add syntax highlighting if you want and uh, uh, stuff like that. So that's cool. 
And then just one other tiny cool one uh, that I've seen recently, uh, Steve Klobnik, uh re-implemented a programming language whose name I cannot say on the air. Um, but, um, he yeah, family-friendly. Oh, wait, never mind. Right, yeah, we'd lose our family-friendly rating. But um, he did it instead of using the usual ASCII symbols that it uses, he used emoji for the various uh, items. <laughs> And uh, this actually is a cooler project than you think because um, it's called Mojikin, uh, by the way. And uh, it's cool because instead of just doing it as like a simple hack, um, he actually tried to structure it more like a language uh, with a lexer or a parser or runtime and an interpreter. But it's all pretty small and simple. So if you're, you know, not super familiar with those concepts or whatever, this is a great thing to like look through and get the idea of how the different pieces of a language work and stuff. Those are just some tiny things I've seen lately that I thought were all cool. That is very cool. Yeah. So I've, I've got my really controversial pick and I've got a really uh, expensive pick. So I'll, I'll throw the expensive one in and then if we run out of time, I don't have to deal with controversy. Um, so... Uh, I've been experimenting with standing desks for a while um, and with various amounts of success. Uh, I took a regular desk and built a little standing shelf on it that I could raise my keyboard on my monitor, and that worked for a while. Uh, but moving back and forth between standing and sitting was difficult. I couldn't stand all day because it made my back hurt. Um, and so jumping in you know, wholeheartedly was uh, difficult. I ended up buying, trying to go cold turkey and just doing standing only. And uh, that desk is now out in the the hallway because I just couldn't couldn't hack it. And so I finally broke down and went to versatables.com. There's a bunch of different companies that make electric desks. Um, if you if you want to like Google for this, you're looking for an electric sit dash stand desk, um, and you can search various uh, vendors uh, out there right now. Uh, I finally settled on versatables.com, and their desks start at about eight hundred and thirty dollars. And they go up. The model I got was, by the time I put all the accessories on it, was about 1400 So it was not a cheap desk. Um, but this, for me, is the happiest sound in the world. I don't know if this will come through. That was my desk going up. That's my desk coming back down. And I love this because uh, it'll, it'll lift two or 300 pounds, so you're not going to have a problem with it if you load all your computers on it. There is an accessory. If you get a VersaTables desk, if you're using it for a computer, there's an accessory that I bought and have not installed, and I've already learned painfully that this is not an option. Um, they make a CPU holder, and what this is is just a little bar that hangs down off the bottom of the desk and has a bracket for bolting your big box uh, computer to the bottom of the desk. And then when you raise the desk, the computer goes up, which means that the computer is following the monitors, which means your cables are not being stretched out. Um, I did actually rip a video cable out of the back of my uh, Mac Pro uh, yesterday. Oops. And the cable came off, but all the pins on the cable plug stayed in the video adapter. Um, and so when I reached down to try and touch things, I got a little shock, and the Mac Pro rebooted itself. Uh, so that's bad, just so we're clear. You, you don't want that happening to your computer equipment. So the CPU attachment, not an option. It's If you've got a computer, you want that. Um, and I wish I wish I had a coupon code uh, from these guys. I'll see if I can't. I'll, I'll email these guys and told them I picked them on the show, and you know would they give a coupon for our listeners? And if they give us one, I'll put it up on the website. Which model do you have? It's the electric desk, the, what are they called? Edison Electric. 
the Edison Electric, I think, is the the thing. Yeah, the or just it's just the electric lift table is all it's called. Okay. And you you go in and you basically what you're paying for is the little uh, robotic solenoid. Uh, you know, uh, servos rather in the legs to raise and lower the pistons. And you go in and you say, how long do you want the desk? How deep do you want the desk? And uh, I'm a desk real estate baron. And so I bought the largest plank of wood that they would get. They would sell me on top of it. That's, that's part of why it ended up being so expensive. Is it an actual, is it an actual plank of wood? No, it's MDF with, but it's got a lovely veneer on top of it. No, because that's one of the things that's that's kind of steered me away from some of these, a couple of these electric adjustable jet desks mm-hmm. is it's like, I don't know, I can't see paying, uh, you know, 800 to over $1,000 for a desk and getting for like a particle, a particle board service. Getting a piece of cardboard on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. They, they do. I've actually thought about having somebody like getting just like a desk base and then having mm-hmm. somebody make me a, a decent service for it. Yeah. So this one actually has a, a steel underframe to it, and there's the frame has the holes where the screws go. And so yeah, you could totally, you know, go to you know a, a shop or a cabinet shop and say, hey, I want a, I want just a, a countertop, yeah. and uh, and then just just drill and mount the the screws where the holes go. You could totally do that. They do guarantee their desktop for life, mm-hmm. and so I I thought, well, I'll just try the. The thing, and it, I got the cherry finish, which is, you know, okay, it's a different color of, you know, wallpaper on it, I guess, if you really want to, want to put it that way. But, um, it looks, looks fantastic. I mean, it looks like a, like a, you know, a fake desktop, but I mean, it's, it looks nice and it's, it's really high quality. And it's not until you look underneath it, you realize, oh, this is MDF. So, mm-hmm. so I've been, I've been really pleased with it so far. I haven't, I haven't felt motivated to, uh, replace the desktop. Yeah. This is going to sound weird, but does it go pretty low? <laughs> this That was the reason I picked VersaTables. This thing goes down to like 24 inches. It, that, it goes down awesome. so stinking low, and it will go up to 50 inches, which is high enough that I have to... Those are my dogs. Wow. Um, and it goes up high enough that I would have to like rest my elbows up on it to, uh, you know, like shoulder armpit height. And um, they make... There's somebody else making these where they've got a little computer programmable thing and you program it for when it's down, I want it at 36.2 inches. And when it's up, I want it at 47.3. And this one doesn't do that. And I I have determined that for me in particular, Josh mentions that he likes to move around. And for me in particular, this this variable adjustment is perfect because I take it down to where I want it. Instead of pushing, I, I can imagine that it would be cool to push a button and have it go to the upper height, but I find myself noodling with the height. Like I'll, I'll put it at one height and I'll type for half an hour and then I'm like, you know what? I want an extra quarter inch of desk height and I'll just bump it. And it's it's great having that amount of adjustment. Uh, eventually I'll probably settle on some heights and I'll want, want it to just go there and so, I don't know, I'll tape a ruler to the back of the desk or something so it's easy to do it. It's that having a desk at the right height with a wheelchair is like super annoying because you have that controller that sticks out. So it's, it, there's like a perfect height where it's, you know, not running into the controller, but it's also not taking me off at the knees, you know, but that, that perfect height is not like a standard thing. So I always have to get a desk that's like too short uh, and then mm-hmm. bump it up a little bit, put something under the legs to get it to the perfect height or yeah. whatever. Actually, I finally just broke down and paid somebody to make a custom desk. That's exactly the, where I want it, which yeah. works great for now. But the problem is like every time you get a new wheelchair, 
which isn't often, but like every decade or so, sure. you get a new wheelchair and then um, the, the, that perfect sweet spot <coughs> changes. You know? yeah. So, yeah. 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 Desks with wheelchairs suck. <laughs> yeah. This, this desk has an underframe to it that's about an inch and a quarter deep. So there's like a little lip that's like three inches in and then the desk goes down an inch and a half where the, the little bar goes underneath it. And where, you know, I end up, you know, tipping my knees up because I've got my foot on a footstool, they, you know, my hips go past the underframe and my knee goes up to the bottom of the desk and that works. But yeah, if you were, if you were trying to slide your knees level under the desk, you'd hit the underframe. And so that would be, you'd have, you have to consider that the desk is, is you have to basically pretend that the desk is two inches thick. Right. That's another thing is like desks with lips on the front of them or stuff like that. I hate that. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I just spent a thousand dollars on my chair, and so I'm not <laughs> sure I can spend another thousand dollars on a desk. Yep. Did you get the air on? I did. I got the air on. There's a pick for you. I love this thing. It is so nice. Um, of course, I bought it because my other chair broke, and uh, it, it landed me on my back on the floor. But uh, yeah, it's it's super comfortable. Um, I really like it's it's got this mesh material on it. And, uh, the, the nice thing about that is that it, um, I, I used to sweat in the other chair and, uh, you know, so I'd get out of the chair and I'd be soaked on my back. And, uh, it, this is nice cause you know, I can, you know, it just breathes and it's, it's pretty comfortable. But the real thing is, is that everything on this chair adjusts. And so I can, I can set it up so that it's the most comfortable for me. And the other thing is, is that I, I noticed when I was getting out of the other chair that I was always, you know, I'd get up and I just not want to move, and I don't have that problem as much getting out of the air on. So, where did you buy it from? I bought it on Amazon. Okay. And they guarantee it for like twelve years because I've mm-hmm. gone through three or four office chairs in the last two or three years, and I just I hate re- I hate having to replace them, and then you wind up getting the the cheap office chair from Office Max or something, and so. I've been- I've been trying. I've been debating whether to spend money on a new chair or a new desk first. Can't yeah. can't decide. Yeah, yeah. It depends on how you think it'll affect your uh, your lifestyle while you're working. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've enjoyed my experiments with a standing desk, but it, I discovered that I definitely want an adjustable one because, um, well, because my computer setup is is pretty elaborate for one thing. So mm-hmm. I, it's it's really not convenient for me to like shift everything over to a makeshift standing desk yeah and and then shift back and yeah. it's just yeah yeah i've got two laptops on the table and a computer underneath the table right and i've got two monitors and i really want to put a third monitor on the table um yeah i got the the six foot long it was the longest table they had and i'm i've got monitors literally hanging off of one end and the laptop literally hanging off the other end yeah just I mean, so there's room Right. And I've got, I mean, I've got a monitor. I've got two laptops because I've got my, my video editing and rendering machine. And then I've got my development machine. And right. I've got, I've got a, a tablet that goes up on a, on a, uh, a holder and, and speakers and, and a bazillion, like a huge USB hub. And yeah. Yeah. I have to ask you, Dave, how deep is the desk? Uh, they come in two widths. One is 24 inches and the other is 30. And normally I'm a fan of super deep desks. I like, 36 inches and I was I, I was a little upset that I could only go 30 inches deep at Versa tables um, but now that it's here 
it's actually the perfect width, perfect depth because you have to like the monitors. Uh, I, I got a, a monitor, you know, swing arm for it, and the monitors are now two feet away from me because they're they're mounted to the back of the desk, and so uh, yeah, thirty inches is the deepest that you can get. Huh. Well, maybe next year. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I I want to try a standing desk. I I might. I, I've seen some like life hacker things where you can spend like twenty bucks or something and get a standing desk and. So I might try that just to get a feel for it and then kind of go from there. I'll put a link to yeah. one of the ones that I found for for cheap as far as getting started with that uh, stuff. Yeah. But yeah. I've been using a cool piece of hardware that's not a desk in these meetings uh, recently and for a local group and I, we have to record them. And there are these live meetings, you know, in, in a big room. So, you know, a, com- a computer mic just, you know, falls down and dies in scenarios like that. So I've been using this uh, H4N recorder from Zoom, and this thing is amazing. Like, I guess it's a field recorder that, like, journalists will use and stuff like that. But you can set, like, the record angle between, like, 90 and 120 degrees on the built-in mics. You can, you can plug in good mics to it, too, if, if you want to go that way. But uh, if you need to capture, like, an entire room... Uh, this device cool. can actually do that. You can just uh, plop it down, and and it will get you audio of the entire room, um, mm-hmm. which is like ridiculously handy. I think I have actually seen con freaks use them uh, in the past. I think they'll, um, you know, they always have the mic for the speaker, but then when like they take questions and stuff, they have these recorders around, and this is where they pull that from, I believe. Huh. Um, and uh, anyway, it's a great recorder. It's not cheap, but if you need to record a room full of people, it's quite handy. Yeah. I love the zoom effect on it because you just set it on your desk, and if it hears a sound wave coming in from either side, it cancels it out. And so you you can point it at the professor from, you know, 50 feet away, and it sounds like you're holding it right up to his face. It's awesome. Yeah. I, I expected the quality to be really crappy when I started trying it, you know, but... It's way better than you would think. Like, I'm in a room with, uh, you know, in this particular group, it's it's around 15 people, you know, mm-hmm. in this room all talking and interacting. And it picks that up surprisingly well. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I, that's cool about the Zoom is that the, or the Zoom H4n is that it has XLR plugs and uh, basically every other plug that you would want on it. So, I mean, it, it's almost a recording studio in a box. And uh, you don't have to use the onboard mics, but it, you know, like I said, I mean, it'll record all of that stuff. So, so wait, you, everybody has one of these except me. I don't have one. I want one. <laughs> I have a, I have a much smaller, cheaper version of it. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, if I could get the, the bigger microphones, it would be so much better. Yeah. Yeah. yeah whoever's sending interesting David, website, whoever's sending David gifts, hint, hint. <laughs> you can you can take a tape a poop sticker to it you know it's fine it sounds that's like right he's the one who needs one you know if you're gonna send a gift there's that <laughs> yeah i do all of my recording into a digital audio recorder i use the i'm using the Ederall or roland um recorders but uh you know there there are definitely some features on the h4n that i envy and so yeah it's it's feature rich you can do everything you can put it in this mode where you know, it, it's just a recorder, but you get way better battery life out of it that way. And, and the battery life is stellar considering it's, it's grabbing like full 
AIFF quality, you know, and stuff. So it's, it, yeah, I've just been like totally blown away by this thing's ability to record a room full of people. Rocks. Yeah, it's it's got a bunch of filters and stuff in it too. I mean, it really is kind of the top-notch uh, handheld recorder. Chuck, can you uh, post links to the recorder that you, that you said you use? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's the one that I use is cheaper. Um, it's the, so you can't get the Ederall, um, R-09HR anymore, but, uh, that's because they have a new version. It's the Roland R-05. It's just as good. It looks a little bit different. Um, it has two mics on it, but they're not oriented the same way that, uh, the H4N are. And, uh, it's relatively inexpensive and it, it's really nice for like basic recording. One thing that I do with mine is it's the, the zoom H four N is actually uh, quite a bit bigger than this is. And with this one, I just, I'll, I'll actually go for a walk and talk into it and I'll just hold it up by my face. And, uh, and, and I love it for that too. The other thing is, is unless I'm out and about doing a lot of, you know, fancy stuff, you know, where I kind of need the recording studio in a box, the, the Ederall works really, really well. And you can sit it on in the middle of the table and, uh, you know, have a conversation with somebody and it, it works just fine. So, uh, yeah, let me put a link in and then you guys can, uh, you can, you can compare. How expensive is expensive on the, so this? the Roland is $200. I don't remember what the zoom costs. Yeah, I can't remember. It's been too long since I bought it. Amazon has it for two sixty one. Oh, really? Yeah. List price six hundred nine. So that's. Uh, <laughs> I guess it's getting old or something. Yeah, the H four N has been out for a long time, and so I would but be it's shocked. Amazing. If they, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if they come up with a new version soon. But yeah. Gosh, so now I just wish. Now I wish I did more live recording. I know, right? It's good. Go. It's good for that. If we do an, do another live show where we don't have a don't have a good recording setup, usually Comfrey handles all the hard part for us. But yeah, if they yeah. don't, we can use this. Yeah, I, uh, I haven't done a, a live Y teams recording in a long time. Yeah, one other thing I want to uh, bring up really quickly: I have a lot of people ask me about my podcasting setup. Since we're talking about this. Um, I did a video. You can go to teachmetocode.com slash screencasts slash my dash podcasting dash setup. I'll put a link to that in show notes as well. It's a 20 minute video and I just walk through all of the equipment I have and what I use it for. So if you want to know that, then that's where you go. I actually did it because the guys at uh, Lone Star Ruby Conference were talking about starting a, a podcast and they emailed me and asked what I used. So. I recorded it. I have equipment lists. And uh, so you can look and see what you like and see what you don't. Speaking of Lone Star, make your plans now. It's looking like a cool conference. Yeah. Of course, they've got some panel there that I, I just don't know if I can deal with those guys. Bunch of, bunch of yeah, crazy folks talking about Ruby, but the keynotes look really good. So definitely check out Lone Star. Yeah. So I'm going to throw another pick out there. This is something that Dave picked. And uh, I, I wound up buying one because I thought it was really cool. And I'm a Doctor Who geek. And, <laughs> I know what this is. And so uh, he he was talking about the gift gift certificate or whatever he got to Think Geek, and it, it turned out that I had one too. I don't know if it was from the same person or not. Probably was because I vaguely remember getting an email about it. But yeah, I bought a sonic screwdriver. Um, so if you're a Doctor Who nut like I am, then 
then there you go. And yeah, it does all the noises and everything else. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And so it's kind of a fun doodad to sit on my desk. And if, if I'm sitting in a meeting, a client meeting or something, and I need to fiddle with something so I don't lose track of the conversation, because if I'm just sitting here at my computer trying to participate in a meeting and, you know, it, Meetings aren't always particularly engaging. Sometimes they are if you care about what they're talking about, and sometimes they aren't even if you care about what they're talking about. So if I have something in my hand that I can fiddle with, then it uh, it actually usually can keep me on task a little bit more because I'm I'm not engaging in anything that actually requires my attention. Um, I'm just fiddling with something that I can hold in my hand. So plus, it's fun to point it at people. I mean, let's face it. <laughs> you oh, you yeah. got one that doesn't work. What? <laughs> you got one that doesn't actually work? So, uh, Derek Parkhurst was the guy who uh, sent me my guest certificate, but I just want to give him a shout out on the show because yeah, it was he awesome. Me, he's he sent us all one, I think. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so, so, yeah, thank you, Derek. That was freaking awesome. Um, the, the one that I bought has the blue one. It's the, the 10th Doctor version. And because it's blue, they put a UV LED in it. And so, uh, the other end of it uncaps and it's got a, a UV marking pen in it. So you can write <laughs> cool. on things uh, with invisible ink and then use the screwdriver to light it up. It's kind of silly. Yeah. Mine is the 11th Doctor version, so it's green. The green. Yeah, the green one. And if you uncap the end, it's just a button that makes it turn on. So Right on. So very cool. Yep. So I've uh, I've teased about this controversial pick, and now I realize that now I've kind of committed, right? Because people are going to be mad if I don't. You're tell them right. What it was. I'm not hanging <laughs> up to create some controversy. All right, all right, all right. So this is the so the this is a callback to the only pick that I've ever gotten hate mail about. Uh, so last year I I mentioned uh, Mosin Nagants, uh, which is a 30 caliber firearm, the surplus from Russia that you can get over here for about a hundred bucks. And Did you seriously get hate mail for that? Uh, I wouldn't call it hate mail. I, somebody wrote me in and said, "Boy, it just kind of broke my heart," that, you know, because you know I'm kind of a pacifist and. I, I just can't believe that you would, you know, wantonly promote this. And we actually had a really good conversation about that. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely not promoting, you know, blood in the streets kind of thing. This is just kind mm-hmm. of a, uh, an American pastime, if you will. And I, I say co- this is a controversial pick because of, you know, recent, po- you know, the current political climate and recent events. Um, you know, we've had a couple of school shootings and a couple, well, we've had a couple of rampage shootings, uh, recently. Yeah. And so there's kind of this national, I would say national discussion. There, there is a national discussion. Mostly what you hear though is national shouting at each other from opposite sides of the spectrum. And, um, I am definitely not, uh, gun control, but I'm also not gun rights. Um, I, I don't take an extreme position either way. Um, I'm, I'm a painfully aware that the one thing that's been proven to reduce accidental gun, uh, uh, deaths is training. And there's nothing in the Constitution that says you must be trained before you you buy a firearm. But one of the things that can help people is just to have experience. And so just to see, find out. A lot of people don't own firearms, don't ha- haven't used firearms, haven't, you know, they, they, they don't play with them. And so this next month, March 9th, for a uh, second Saturday in March, is Take a Newbie Shooting Day. And there's, a, if you go, I'll, I'll post a link to it. There's a there's a, a nationwide uh, kind of Facebook event circulating around this. And if you've if you've wanted to know more about firearms and know 
you know, what does it feel like when a, you know, when a rifle kicks against your shoulder? What is it, what is it, you know, is it satisfying or not for you to, to shoot paper targets? What is it like to shoot bottles or, you know, whatever your range, various range will allow? And you want to know more about this, um, not presented in, you know, any type of political context. It's just, do you want to know more about this? Uh, March 9th is National Take a Shooting, Take a Newbie Shooting Day. And, uh, I just checked the map. There are currently, there's nobody, uh, hosting in Utah and so I may I may look into uh, helping address that uh, mm. I, I think it would be just really interesting if you you know if you're if you're anti anti-gun I totally understand that especially given you know recent events um, I'm not gonna try and start up a gun rights gun control debate uh, on a Ruby show mostly because I don't really have an extreme position either way and what that means is both extremes hate my position uh, <laughs> and, and so I really don't want to just catch it from both sides um, but uh, if, if you are interested in learning about learning more about it uh, National Take a Newbie Shooting Day is on March 9th so that's my controversial pick for the end of the show <laughs> alright well I, I think we're almost out of time let's get to the picks <laughs> and for our special pick guest today we have yes. this is the part of the show where we bring somebody on to talk about something oh there we go that's awesome <laughs> yeah oh, this is this is fun i i enjoyed just chatting about things with you guys yeah. it's kind of a mini topics episode yeah yep yeah definitely some good stuff there though now i have lots of new toys to go play with you mean you're going to go buy some new toys to play with? Yeah, you guys are hard on my credit card. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap up the show. Um, want to thank all the the listeners for listening, all the panelists for paneling, and uh, we'll catch y'all next week. Bye, everybody. Cheers. Bye.